Well, Merry Christmas and good morning to you at all of our campuses. It is good to be with you all the way from Chicago to Huntley and here in South Barrington and everybody online. Hey, uh, this movie we're looking at today, that ain't no Hallmark movie, okay? That is the real stuff of life. It's a wonderful life. Came out in 1946 in December. It was considered a Christmas movie. It was considered, uh, sort of got mixed reviews when it came out. The, the critics, um, a lot of them liked the acting, liked the storytelling, but here's the deal. It was kind of a flop in the box office. In the beginning, it didn't even recover half of what it needed to break even as a movie. It went into sort of obscurity over time until about 1980, believe it or not, when it came back in popularity and everybody sort of watching this movie. It was all over the place. And from 1980 till today, you can go on, you know, uh, uh, on TV during Christmas time and you can find this movie. Now, I think part of the reason is because this is a movie that, like I said, it's got the real stuff of life in it. And it's something we can relate to. It's the, the character George Bailey, who um, he's a dreamer. He, he starts his life out uh, as a young man, just dreaming about what's going to be, what his career is going to be like, what his marriage is going to be like. He wants to get out of this little sleepy town. He wants to do amazing things. And then life throws him a curveball. Uh, Uncle Billy, who he works with in the family business, who he'd been sort of just doing ordinary life with, trying to help people from time to time. Uncle Billy in the family business loses $8,000, and this is gonna be an incredible snag in the plans and the dreams of George Bailey. Check this out. Guys, there weren't a lot of movies like that in 1946 at Christmas time. 1946 Christmas time, it was feel good, it was fairy tale, it was, you know, happy go lucky, it was candy canes and, and, and sugar plums. I mean, that's 
the movies in 1946. And so it's not until 1980 that people start to go, hey, you know what? This is a movie I can relate to. I know what it feels like to, to be going through life and, and, and imagining, you know, big dreams and, 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 and great relationships and, and then to find out that life throws you a snag, a curveball. Things get tough. In fact, for, for George, it gets so dark because remember, it's $8,000, um, you know, this is, in these days, it would be a six-figure problem, and it's going to be a big deal. This is bankruptcy. This is scandal. This is a, a big deal for them to the point that George finds himself alone on a bridge. I think we've got a picture of it, looking down into the cold, icy river below, and he's contemplating some pretty dark things. And we pause right there and we say, you know what? I, I can relate to something like that because the truth is, uh, you know what? I've had discouragement in my life as well. You, you've had discouragement in your life as well. I mean, we don't start out that way. We start out like George did. Like we start out thinking this career is going to be great. It's going to be up and to the right. And it's going to be, you know, constant promotions. And yet we'll find ourselves at some point maybe feeling stuck. Maybe feeling like, what is all this work that I'm doing even good for? Or, or we, we, we think to ourselves, hey, you know, I'm 20, I'm 25 years old, I feel great, and I'm going to feel great my entire life. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to cruise on into my 90s and then one day just kind of pass away in my sleep. We don't ever think that we're going to get sick at some point deal with chronic illness. We, we expect the best, right? We're going down the aisle expecting things to be great. You heard about the, the uh, wedding planner who tried to comfort the very nervous bride by saying, listen, this is all you have to remember. You just walk down the aisle, you stop at the altar, and then you sing the hymn. And so the bride just rehearses it in her mind. Okay, okay, okay. Walk down the aisle, stop at the altar, and, and, and sing the hymn. And so she's walking down the aisle, looking at her groom in the eyes the whole time, and all she's thinking is, okay, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. Okay, good. I'm glad you laughed at that, because there aren't a lot of jokes in this one, okay? Here's the deal. I enjoy a movie that helps me relate to the real stuff in life, but I'm also appreciative that the Bible is full of the real stuff in life. Here's the thing. I appreciate the fact that the Bible's not filled. Even the heroes of the Bible aren't just painted as perfect folks that sort of float around on clouds that don't have to deal with the real stuff of life. I mean, even the very dark things of life. Numbers 1115, Moses said this. Moses, the leader, the hero, he says, if this is how you're going to treat me, talking to God, please go ahead and kill me. And do not let me face my own ruin. Woo Elijah, Elijah, this guy who's, you know, close to God. He's got this incredible connection to God. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Like, we get discouraged. Even the, even the Christmas story. I've been looking at the Christmas story differently this year. Luke 2, 10 and 11 says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you the good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Okay, that makes sense. That's Christmas, man. Joy, yay. 
says, the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And we say, oh, the nativity scene. It's so warm and nostalgic and wonderful. And I'm just looking at it now. What was Joseph thinking? Like he had nine months to prepare. Nine months to prepare to be the, the steward. You know, he and Mary stewarding the mission, stewarding the life of Jesus. And when it happens, when the big day comes, guess what Joseph and Mary are able to provide for the king of the world? Rags in a horse trough. And I just think that if I'd been Joseph, I might be tempted to think, man, I don't know that I'm getting this right. I don't know that I have what it takes. I might be tempted to be a little bit discouraged in that moment because all I can provide, all I've been able to come up with in nine months of preparation for the most important mission ever is a few rags in a horse trough. But see, because the Bible paints the real picture of life, do you know what? I can see, I can relate that in my own life, I'm not alone. Like other people have gone through some of the things that I've gone through. Other people have gone through some of the things that you've gone through. Maybe some of the things that you're going through right now to know that you're not alone is a significant thing. To realize that even some of the heroes in scripture, even some of the, the people that we look up to, they've gone through some of those things as well. Well, George stands up on that bridge and he feels very alone he's kind of buying into the lie that his life doesn't matter buying into the lie that maybe maybe he'd be better off if he'd never lived but you know what up on that bridge even up on that bridge george wasn't alone check this out
The special effects in 1946 left something to be <laughs> desired as well. Here's the thing, if you're discouraged, I just encourage you to remember you're not alone. Like George had lived his life in a way that he connected in ordinary ways with people and, and when, it was, when he was discouraged, when he was spiraling out of control, there were people that began praying for him. Not only have people gone through what you've gone through, there are people in your life that I think you'd be encouraged to know how many people are praying for you, even right now. How many people would be willing to sit down and listen? How many people would be willing to help if you gave them a chance? And to know that in some unseen place, there's an army of God's angels waiting at the ready for God to say, go and help this person. Psalm 106.44 says, he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. If you're discouraged this Christmas, I just want to encourage you, you are not alone. And I also think of the Apostle Paul. Yeah, Paul, somebody that you think, man, he wrote part of the Bible. Paul planted all these churches. And he literally wrote uh, Philippians that talks all about joy, joy, joy. This is somebody who probably never got discouraged. But the truth is, Paul got discouraged as well. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, it says, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. <laughs> He's super discouraged. Then he goes on in chapter 7, and one of the things he does is he describes four contributing factors to his discouragement. He's aware of some of the things, some of the sources that are causing the discouragement in his life. Look what he says. He says, when we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. There's four things there. There's fatigue. He said there was no rest for us. And if I understand some of the sources that are contributing to my discouragement, well then it's gonna give me the ability to, to make strategic healthy choices on how to uh, mitigate or to work or to move forward in those areas. So if I'm tired, if I have fatigue, then what am I doing? I'm, I'm sleeping, I'm working on my nutrition, I'm going to the doctor, I'm figuring out more healthy rhythms in my life. There's frustration. Paul said, we faced conflict from every direction. He's got conflict in relationships in his life. And if that's what's causing our discouragement, well, then we know, okay, well, we can, uh, we, we can go to counseling. We can have an honest conversation, sit down with somebody and seek to reconcile. We can do some of the more preventative or positive things like I'm going to do a date night with my spouse or we're going to pray together. We're going to work on the relationship so that the discouragement is not a byproduct. Failure. Paul said that he faced battles on the outside. And we know that Paul was trying to move the mission forward and there were moments where he just, he failed. He couldn't get it done in that area. He was sent somewhere else. Failure can do that as well in our lives. It can be a contributor to discouragement. And so if it's that we failed at something, we, we realize, oh, okay, well, if I failed, then maybe I need to practice harder. Maybe I need to get more education. Maybe I need to learn from my mistakes. Maybe I need to understand that failure is an event and not a person. And so it's not that I am a failure, it's just that I failed. Maybe it's failure, maybe it's fear. Paul said this, that there was fear on the inside. How many of you have dealt with fear on the inside or insecurity? I think all of us have. I, I, um, I go to the gym from time to time, believe it or not, and, uh, 
And I, listen, when I go to the gym, I don't want to be Pastor Dave. I'm going to be honest with you. I want to be the incredible stinking Hulk when I go to the gym. And I'm coming out of the gym the other day. This week, I'm coming out of the gym, and I've got my bag, and I'm kind of rushing. And I, I'm opening the door, and I spot the guy at the gym who's the biggest, baddest guy at our gym. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like abs, huge. The guy is just immense. And he's in that zone where I'm not quite sure the distance that he is from the door, I'm not quite sure. I'm trying to measure how fast he's coming. Do I, do I hold the door for him? Or do I just go through? It's like that yellow light of door holdery right there. And I'm not quite sure what to do. And I'm telling you what came into my mind, because I'm like, big guy. You know, I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I don't need to hold the door for that guy. You know, like, I don't need to suck up to that guy. I don't need to, like, whatever. You know, and so in a moment of weakness, in I, I darted out of the door. I probably shouldn't have. But it's like a yellow light. You know, when you see a yellow light, you just gun it. No? Okay, not me. <laughs> okay, anyway. Um, but when I did, my bag hit the door, uh, hit the door handle, and my sweatshirt, this is the sweatshirt, fell out of the bag. And as the door was closing, it came onto my sweatshirt and the door was held open. It was as if God was saying, told you you should have held the door open. <laughs> Mr. Olympia now is close enough to the door that he sees what's happened and because he's a kind man, he reaches down and he grabs his, let me get that, let me get that for you, okay? <laughs> and he grabs the sweatshirt and holds it up to give it back to me And I didn't have it on because I was too embarrassed to wear it. This is what I was wearing to the staff Christmas party. And yes, that's glitter on my sweatshirt. <laughs> we all deal with insecurity is what I'm trying to say. You're not alone in it. We all deal with fatigue, frustration, failure, and fear. And if we understand the sources of where our discouragement are coming from, if we can pinpoint those, then it enables us then to figure out what is a smart way to move forward. So realize you're not alone. You got God, you got other people. Uh, figure out or diagnose the discouragement, figure out where it's coming from. And then thirdly, change your perspective. Change your perspective. Now, the best way I know how to do this is to change your mind. So what, what do you mean by that? Well, when I was um, a young lad, there was a, a Christmas gift that I just had to have. I think I was eight or nine years old, and I wanted a remote control car. That's what I wanted for Christmas. I got the remote control car. I was so excited. I took it out and put the batteries in, set it on the floor, and I start driving. And the thing just goes left, left, left all the time. I was so disappointed. I picked up the car. I looked at it. I'm like, is it, did it get caught in the carpet? There's something wrong with the you know, wheel. It's all muffed up on one side. Or I don't get it. I don't know. But nothing was wrong with the car. I sat it down. And so finally, I looked at the instructions, like, what is going on? And found that actually on the remote control, there are these things like the trim tabs, these little trim dials that you can dial in if things aren't working. And I looked there, and, and sure enough, one of the trim tabs was all the way to the left. There wasn't anything wrong with my car. It was just receiving signals that was causing it to, to go out of alignment. 
And that's why changing your mind is so important. That's why the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You want to transform your life? You want to transform career? You want to transform relationship? You want to transform your life? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love what John Acuff talks about in his book, Soundtracks. He said there are these thoughts, these patterns of thoughts that play as sort of music beds or background in the background of our thoughts all the time. And he says, one of the greatest mistakes you can make in life is assuming that all your thoughts are true. So what do you do? I'll give you two questions. One is this. If I feel discouraged, hey, God, help me know what is the lie that Satan is trying to feed me right now? If you're new to church or whatever, you just, here's the thing. We believe the Bible, and the Bible talks about the, the, that the devil is the father of lies. What does that mean? It means that one of the things he's doing is he's whispering into our ears things that are just not true. And so I want to figure out what is that lie that Satan is trying to use to then discourage me, and then I want to replace that with God's truth. I want to take Scripture and replace the lie. So what is the lie, and then what is the Scripture? So if it's, you know, the lie is, well, I can't change. No, Paul says you're a new creation in Christ, that you can change. If I wake up and say, I hate my body. God made a mistake on me. No, the psalmist would say that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You say, I'm alone. No one understands. No, no, no. Jesus said, I am with you always in Matthew 28. You see, well, no one understands what I'm going through. I mean, what I'm going through is completely unique. No one's ever had it as hard as I've had. No, no, no. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has seized you except what's been common to other people. And God will, God is faithful. He will allow you a way to stand up under it, to get through it. Failure. I'm just a big failure. No, no, you're an overcomer, Scripture says. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind change your perspective. Now, in George Bailey's case, it's not through scripture that his perspective has changed, through movie magic. And this is what's kind of heartwarming or kind of the, the, the special part of this movie, I think, is that he's enabled to see what life would have been like had he not lived it. He's able to to, to take a break from his normal living, his, the, the, the life that has some ups and some downs, just his ordinary life, and in a moment he's able to see what life would have been like had he not been around. And so Bedford Falls becomes Pottersville. It's the evil banker controls everything. The local park has never been built because George never helped people with their mortgages from time to time, so they never built the park. George's brother Harry dies because George wasn't around to save him from that icy uh, in the lake. George's mother is a bitter old widow, Mary, single. And George, George sees all of this, and, and, and I'm going to show you kind of an intense scene where everything turns around for him. But it's not an intensity of sadness. It's an intensity of like, I want to live, right? Watch this.
Whenever I've talked to people that are really deeply discouraged, those that are even suicidal, it is not that they really want to die. It's that they really want to live. They want that John 10.10 promise where Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. They really want freedom. They really want joy. They really want peace. They want self-control. They, they want to be connected to God, connected with others, and connected with their purpose in life. You know what George got to go through, we're not going to be able to do through movie magic, but maybe it's a, maybe it's a helpful exercise. Maybe to sit down, take some quiet time and think through and ask yourself, who have I helped in life? How has God used me to encourage others and to build them up? How has my generosity made a difference in someone's life? Who have I influenced? You might just be surprised that, that your life has really, your ordinary life has mattered in extraordinary ways. You know, we always imagine the titans of industry when we think about world changers or the heroes of history or the innovators and the inventors. Those are the people that make a real difference. But the truth is, most of the people that I see that really make a difference in life, they're just ordinary people. I saw this week in an article about Dale Schroeder. Here's Dale. Dale grew up poor in Idaho, never went to college, had no children, never got married, worked as a carpenter at, at the same company for 67 years. Never uh, drove anything more than a, a rusted old Chevy truck and only owned two pair of jeans at a time, he said. Shortly before his death in 2005, he came to an attorney and he said, I want to leave my life savings account to some kids like me who grew up poor and wouldn't be able to go to college any other way. In his college fund, he sent 33 full scholarships. He's changed 33 lives just by living an ordinary life. You know, I think about the angel in the Christmas story who said, and the sign will be to you, the sign will be that the baby will be wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The sign that for me, if I'm Joseph, is the example of my failure. It is, it is the, the, the very thing that I'd want to kind of hide away. It's not the thing that I'd want to highlight. It's not the thing that I would want to point people to. It's the, it's the concession. It's the mistake. It's the thing that when you all put up your nativity scenes, if I'm Joseph, I'm going, oh. And yet the angel says, no, 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 no. You see these very ordinary things? That's your sign. Why? Because God's been working through ordinary things to do extraordinary things for thousands of years. God's the one who took five smooth stones and conquered a giant. God's the one who took Moses and took a stick and made it a snake. He took a little boy's lunch and fed 5,000 people with it. God has been using very ordinary things to do extraordinary things things. And so maybe to ask yourself, who have I helped 
How's God used me? Is there somebody that you coached? Somebody that you encouraged? Did you adopt a family at Christmas time and buy some gifts for the kids? Who have you smiled at? Who have you taken time to, to listen to? Willow, as we come to the end of the year, I just want to say thank you for doing a lot of ordinary things this year. Some of you invited some friends to church this year. It's a pretty ordinary thing. And God has helped our church grow by 28% this year. It's an amazing thing. You know, 40% of those people um, are new in our church, 40% in the last five years. That's awesome. 40% of those people had never, they weren't going to a church before they came here. And God's been doing that just through ordinary invitations from people like you. Some of you did something really ordinary. You ran. You ran for a long time. Some of you did something ordinary. You packed some seeds. You put a few seeds in a bag. Some of you did something really ordinary. You, you packed hope packs. You put some treats. You put a book into a little paper bag. Do you know what? Crystal Lake last week, someone came up after the service and said, this is my first Sunday, and Pastor Miguel does such an amazing job at Crystal Lake. He said, really, it's your first time here? He goes, yeah, I was in prison, and I got a Hope Pack, and so I'm here, and he's there on the weekend that we celebrate Hope Packs. How cool is that, right? You do ordinary things like give money. Your generosity fuels the mission. You do ordinary things like sign up and do a Bible study called Rooted, a discipleship journey where you say, you know what, I'll help you take your next step with God. You help me take my next step with God. And you do stuff that's ordinary, like hang out with some kids, spend some time with high school students, hang out in a parking lot and welcome people to church, open doors for people. You do something ordinary. You volunteer, and yet God has done something extraordinary through that almost 400 people baptized this year. It's a phenomenal thing that you do. Here's the point. Just because your life is ordinary doesn't mean it's not a wonderful life. I'm sure Joseph and Mary wanted not cloths in a manger. I'm sure that what they wanted were kingly robes and a castle. I'm sure that as they were preparing, as they were dreaming about how they wanted this thing to go down, I'm sure they wanted to do their very best for Jesus, that they wanted to honor him in the best way possible. I, I'm sure that they wished that instead of uh, kingly robes, uh, uh, rags in a horse trough, that they had kingly robes and a castle. But here's the thing. Had they been able to provide that? Had they been able to do that? The shepherds would have never seen Jesus. They'd have never had access. See, I'm so grateful for a God who came down as a little baby wrapped in some rags in a horse trough. Because what that means is a lot of the shepherds, a lot of the regular people, the people that are out there right now that are discouraged, 
The people that are right out there right now who are wondering, are they alone in all of this? Does anybody understand? The people that are walking through a very ordinary life and wondering, does my life even matter at all? If he hadn't come that way, then they wouldn't have access to God. See, God for so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose again three days later, and because he was both fully God and fully man, lived a sinless life, he gives an invitation to you and to me to place our faith in him and to follow him. And if we'll do that, then our sins can be forgiven and we can live with God forever. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Christmas.